This podcast is presented by the Prince George's County Memorial Library System. Away we go. Darlene, you have to start. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. I was like trying to fiddle with this mic. Hi, I'm Darlene. I'm Howard. I'm Heather. And this is our podcast, These Books Made Me. Today, we're going to be talking about The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants by Anne Brashears. Friendly warning as always, this podcast contains spoilers. If you don't yet know who invades someone's swimming hole, proceed with caution. Content warning, this episode contains discussions of childhood illness, death, sexuality, and sexual assault. This episode is rated T for teen. We have a special guest this week. Could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Maria, and I work at the Heightsville branch. And you're back. You were on another episode. (laughs) I'm back again. Uh, Jumping in, what did this book mean to you? Was this everyone's first time reading? If not, how did this reread compare to your memories of reading it when you were younger? So I was pretty positive I read this when it came out. I, I stand by that, even though I really didn't remember anything but the broad strokes of it. This reread was rough. (laughs) I didn't really remember it. So there was nothing so much to compare it to. But yeah, this this was a slog for me. So for me, this was my first time reading it. But I remember when the first movie came out. Is there more than one movie? I don't know. But I remember when the movie (laughs) came out like a couple years after this book. And like it was like a really big thing. It was everywhere. I, I think I might have seen it. I remember like bits and pieces of it. And I do remember that America Ferrera was in it. That was the extent of my memory of Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants when I was younger. So this is really my first time taking in the story and reading it. So it was interesting. Yeah, so it was not my first time reading it. I definitely remember reading it. I want to say it was in high school. I really liked the series as a kid. I was reading it now and I don't really know why anymore, <laughs> like why I liked it. But I, and then I also remember vividly seeing the movie and I actually mm-hmm. do have it on DVD because I was always really big into like sisterhood type like shows or movies. So I think that aspect got me. And then it also had Alexis Bedell and I was a really big Gilmore Girls fan at the time. <laughs> uh, so they had a built-in audience with me. So yeah, not my first time reading it. I enjoyed it a lot as a kid. I'm very critical of it now as an adult, and I'm excited for the discussion on this book. Yeah, I'm the same. I read it when I was younger. I can't remember if I saw the movie first or if I read it first, but I remember it being like a huge thing, introduction for like summer romance books for me as well. But this was definitely not what I remembered at all. So it was interesting (laughs) reading it. Well, I guess before we dive into that, I will try to give us a quick plot summary here. Four 15-year-old sisters from different mothers experience the ups and downs of adolescence over the course of an eventful summer. Carmen kicks off the summer of the pants by locating said pants at a Georgetown thrift store. Sorry, y'all, Georgetown thrift store. (laughs) (laughs) The jeans magically fit all four of the girls perfectly in spite of their differing body types. Pervy Carmen, tall and athletic Bridget, quirky Tibby, and model-esque Lena all find that the pants suit their bodies and personalities beautifully when they try them on. The four girls make a pact to share the pants over the summer, since they will all be separated for the first summer ever. 
Each of the girls experiences drama over the summer that changes her outlook on life. Carmen visits her fairly non-present father in South Carolina and discovers he has a new, perfect family in life there that doesn't include her. She feels ostracized for not looking like her new family. She's Puerto Rican, they're white, and she lashes out, flirting with her stepbrother to upset his girlfriend, criticizing Lydia's wedding dress, and finally chucking a rock through their window before running away and returning to D.C. She eventually realizes that while she's hurt and extremely angry at her father, she wants to try to make things work and wears the jeans to his wedding to Lydia. Lena, the introverted artist of the group, is tired of being the pretty one. She spends the summer in Greece with her grandparents and freaks out when neighborhood heartthrob Costos accidentally catches her skinny dipping. Believing Costos has assaulted Lena, her grandfather punches Costos's grandfather and estranges the two families. Lena tries to repair the damage she has caused and realizes she's in love with Costos before returning to the States. Tibby hates her job, hates her boss, and hates pretty much everything about her summer until she meets Bailey, a 12-year-old girl dying of cancer. Together they film the succumentary Tibby has wanted to film before Bailey's decline and eventual death caused Tibby to realize that some of the people she's been mocking are pretty decent people after all. Tibby's guinea pig also dies, which sends Tibby into a deep depression until Carmen shakes her out of it to send her to Bailey's deathbed. Bridget goes to soccer camp in Mexico, where she relentlessly pursues one of her coaches, Eric, in spite of their age difference and a rule against fraternization. Bridget's behavior becomes increasingly reckless and impulsive until she finally spends a night with Eric. He breaks things off with her and she is shattered. Lena flies out to take care of her. The book concludes with the girls reuniting and sharing their experiences during the Summer of the Pants as they reaffirm their love and commitment to each other. A little bit about the author, Amber Shares is originally local to the DMV area and was born in Alexandria, Virginia on July 30th, 1967. She grew up in Chevy Chase, Maryland with three brothers and attended the Quaker school Sidwell Friends before going to Barnard College in Manhattan to study philosophy. Brashares took a job as an editor following her graduation in 1989 and remained in New York City. She had originally planned to work for a year and then return to graduate school in philosophy, but enjoyed the editing profession too much to follow through on that plan. Brashares married Jacob Collins, an artist she had met at Barnard, and they have four children together, Samuel, Nathaniel, Susanna, and Isaiah. She began to start writing in addition to editing, Although Brashares worked on a couple works of nonfiction, she was interested in writing for young adults and published The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants in 2001. It told the story of four friends, Lena, Tibby, Bridget, Carmen, and a pair of jeans that somehow magically manages to fit each of them in turn. This would become the first installment in a six-book series. The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants was followed by The Second Summer of the Sisterhood, 2003, then Girls in Pants, 2005, Forever in Blue, 2007, Three Willows, 2009, and Sisterhood Everlasting, 2011. Brashares also released a collection of short stories in 2005 to accompany the other books entitled Keep in Touch. Brashare seems to have embraced being known as a traveling pants author. As her Twitter bio reads, Have Pants, Will Travel. Further markers of its success include the first Sisterhood book receiving the BookSense Book of the Year Award, in 2002, and a 2005 film from Warner Brothers. In a 2005 interview with her alma mater, Brashares listed Judy Bloom and her portrayals of teenage girlhood as great influences on her writing. 
Thank you guys so much for that plot summary and the author bio. All right, so now let's get into the discussion. I think that tonight we're the sisters of these pantalones. Sisters of the pants. Yes! So I feel like you can't talk about the sisterhood of the traveling pants without talking about portrayals of body image in this book. I mean, the whole concept is this pair of pants that they have, and it happens to fit all four of these girls who have seemingly different body types, and that makes the pants magical. Call me crazy, but it's scientifically impossible that a pair of pants could fit me. And me. And me. And me. My initial thought is that these girls must not be that far off from each other if they can all fit (laughs) this pair of pants. But also, I think it's not really necessarily about that, but like how they're portrayed to be extremely different. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Like, that yeah. wasn't really a question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think when I had read the books, I, I think I thought about it more realistically. Like similarly, where I thought maybe they all had similar-ish body types. But obviously after seeing the movie and then rereading it, I guess... I don't know. I guess I took it more and they call it magical pants. So I guess maybe there's like a magical realism aspect to it. So, yeah, I. It's really interesting, I think, to read this book now and just get a sense of how I guess how much they talk about their body image and how they feel about each other. Mm-hmm. And and I, and they kind of know like every they know each other's like. Feelings about their bodies as well. It felt very like early 2000s. Like I felt like everything in the late 90s and early 2000s when it came to books and TV shows had this really weird obsession with bodies. Nothing that was included in this book felt out of place. I don't think that I was necessarily hearing all of that in real life but I was seeing it a lot in pop culture. Yeah, I guess for me, I mean, the navel gazing certainly does not seem out of place for any time as a teenage girl. I mean, I think your body is changing. Everyone else's bodies around you are changing. You're acutely aware of living inside your own skin during that age. And I think that that's accurate. I think bringing up what you did about pop culture at the time, Darlene, is makes it a little bit more palatable to me, I guess, as a reflection of that. Because as I was reading the book, the girls and their thoughts about themselves and like knowing each other's hangups about their own bodies, that made sense to me. Like that resonates. Like I think everybody's lived with that as a teenager. What didn't seem real to me was the level of scrutiny that every character in the book really had about everyone else's bodies Mm -hmm. around them. It's constant. You don't get a single woman in this book that there's not some critical mention of her appearance. You know, that's it's a, yeah. that's a good point. Like Lydia's 40 year old arms and like she looks bad in the wedding dress to Carmen. The yeah, it's the girl with cancer like gets critiqued. Yeah. Like, yeah. It is every single woman that comes into the story gets a dig, basically. And that to me was not true to my experience of being alive and being in my teens at the time that this this book would have been written and like was just a brutal read like if if the if the message of the book is supposed to be self-love 
its means of doing that is to say everyone's body sucks. So just be okay with your own. I mean, like that's the take home to me because it's relentless critique of appearance throughout the book, which does not seem like a self-love kind of. And it's coming from everybody, right? So it's not like it's coming from like one character that's supposed to be just like the mean girl character and there's like some kind of redemption or something. But everybody's doing it to everyone. Lena talks about how, oh, I thought my grandmother was going to be this beautiful woman when I met her and she was just dumpy and had gross toenails and she's wearing like bad shoes. Yeah, Yeah, like you just met her. (laughs) (laughs) And Tibby, who's like, I, I think presented as the one that would probably be the least appearance mm-hmm. concerned. She's also just brutal about how people look. She's going after the guys around her too. Yeah. Like she goes after the hair gel kid. She goes <laughs> after the appearance of the poor video game kid. Like I, yeah, the whole- woman that's in the back room that works with her, like she talks mm-hmm. about her hair and her nails and like, you know, she goes out of her way to make the woman sound trashy, right? And I think maybe her interactions with Bailey kind of, like, allowed her to be a little less judgmental towards the end. But, like, overall, like, the perceptions of, like, body image that most of the people have in this book are just, like, terrible. And then there's the whole thing with she likes the guy, Tucker, but then, like, by the end of the book, she just doesn't like him at all. And he didn't it, really do anything to her right. either. At like the end of the book, he becomes like very human and kind and like goes out of his way to be nice to her. And then she's like, whatever, his hair gel looks stupid. I don't like him anymore. And it's right. like, well, where did that come from? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's where uh, interesting that she worked as an editor, because I, I feel like it should have been worked in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she wanted us to get a sense that Bailey was right about her interpretation of Tucker. And I was like, that's fine. But nowhere did you really show Tucker doing anything bad. No. Yeah. In fact, he becomes nice. Like he actually does something thoughtful and caring. And then she just shreds the dude for having hair gel. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing that he did was to be insulted by her refusal, which is to show like, oh, he kind of assumed that she would just Mm -hmm. automatically say yes. But that was after the refusal. You don't get a sense of like why she really refused him. There is a part where it's saying that he kind of puts on airs, right? And so, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Because they're all teenagers and they all do that. And like Tippi has come, her character arc at the end of it is that she understands that she does the same thing. She judges people and like pushes them away and tries not to have a connection with people because really she's actually afraid of what it would be like if they really got to know her. So that was her character arc. So it was kind of it was just kind of mean spirited for her to just uh, not accept Tucker. I don't know. I mean, it's just very mixed messaging throughout the book in a way that's like really not fun to read for me like it it just you read the book and you're like everyone is so mean and I know that like part of teenage years is the narcissism of it right like everything's about you when you're a teenager you think everything is about you you think everyone's looking at you everyone cares people don't like that's what you learn when you become an adult is like everyone thinks it's about them so no one's looking at you but they never really get to that point none of them do it's still everything's about me and they're not very nice people. <laughs> yeah, I think the messaging could have been stronger there because, yeah, I, I feel like 
if anyone learns anything at most, it's to be when it comes to body image specifically. Because I, I thought like maybe at first it was harping on it because it would eventually kind of like lead to a resolution where like they all realize that maybe they're a bit too obsessed with how other people view them and how they view other people. But yeah, there was no resolution for it. So it just felt like just having digs at people constantly throughout the book. And that's the humor, right? Like the digs are used as humor and they're not funny. It also talks about about the friendship too. I mean, it's the huge message is friends, friends can be rude to each other. Friends Mm -hmm. can put you down. And what was interesting at least was I think um, with Tibby, I mean, she wasn't chosen to be a cashier because of how she looked. They put the girl, the perky girl with the boobs to be cashier and her putting deodorants away. But I thought what was interesting was that Bailey's mom was the first person who was actually nice and didn't immediately judge Tibby. Even mm-hmm. the paramedics judged her for having um, having her wallet, having Bailey's wallet. But uh, Bailey's mom didn't. Her mom just took it. It was like, do you want to see her? That was the first person. And I thought that was interesting, especially since Bailey also is like the main person who entering her teen years immediately puts up a front, especially not wanting to be treated as someone weak. And even like, you know, when when Carmen meets her dad's surprise family for the Mm. first time, they're just like, oh, you're not what we expected kind of type thing. And even Carmen talks about how like she like seeing her dad with Paul, her her soon to be stepbrother. She feels like they look more like a family than than her and her dad do when people even make commentary, like when they're at the soccer game and stuff like that. And I mean, even though that's not necessarily body image, it kind of is in a way, because like even when they're talking about how they're like trying to get a dress made for Carmen and she was it the seamstress that makes like a rude comment. Oh, we're just going to have to I'm going to have to start from scratch. I'm going to need more fabric. I don't blame her for walking out because that was really rude. Yeah, like, what? it totally was. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then Lydia does nothing in that moment. Nope, no, nothing to like at least. I don't know, like reassure Carmen or, you know, to tell the dressmaker, like maybe you cool it on that kind of language. But yeah, I mean, that's the weird part. It's like there are certain parts we're supposed to think that these comments are mean. And then there are times it's just supposed to be funny. Right. If they're making the comments, it's fine. But when other people are making the comments, it's cruel. Yeah. And like, I I do want to go back to what Darlene said about like pop culture at the time. And there certainly was during that time period, like a, I mean, even a monetization of Mm. cruelty about people's bodies. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about like Perez Hilton, who, I mean, his whole shtick was like drawing inappropriate comments on pictures of celebrities and like raking them over the coals for how they looked. And that was popular at the time. But I, I struggle with like saying that someone acting like that should be a role model for anyone or that that should be something we aspire to. And she definitely seems to be capturing the four of them as like a unit as this is what you should aspire to with friends. And it's like, but they're pretty mean. They're pretty terrible. Bridget, I guess, is not particularly mean to the others. Like she doesn't make as many of the body jabs. But the whole thing with Eric is awful. Like, awful, awful. Like, any way you look at it, she's a bad person for doing that. Like, just terrible. Like, would not accept no, has horrible boundaries related to consent. Like, it's real bad. Like, is willing to, like, jeopardize his job, his freedom, because if they had actually done that in California, 
he would have been potentially arrested for this that. Mexico, that was a felony. Right? This is yeah, Mexico. It is. Okay. It's Mexico. But like if they had continued, okay, like what was just, oh, yeah, what was her plan? From, yeah, yeah, he's from yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when they cross back into California to go home, oh, now yeah. it's a felony. Yeah. Like I it's bad. She's so like, old we, enough to know better. She she knows a lot mm. better. Like she should. And it worries me that the author doesn't seem to know better. And it's like that kind of throughout. It's like, I don't think the author knows that this is bad, that the characters are acting like this. Because it's some being portrayed. Or why it's bad, I guess. Because to me, it seems like it's being portrayed like to the to the teen young reader. Because I, I feel like as a teen young reader, it's just like, ooh, the chase of like an older guy. Like, no, he's been very clear about why he's not interested. And then like... You're just, and she lies about her age. And she lies she about her age, right? Her, so yeah. she knew she knew enough to lie. She knew there was a reason to lie about her age mm-hmm. because if he knew how old she really was, he would be like straight. I mean, he was already like straight up no, but he'd be turned off from that even more. So, which means you know you're doing something wrong. But for you, was the end of the book? Did you think that the author was telling girls don't be like Bridget? That's horrible. Because I think it's still romanticizing what happened oh, and absolutely. saying like, look, this was Bridget's summer of exploration. Yeah. And she's going to be okay. She's a little heartbroken right now, but it was worth it. It'll be okay. Her friends will like pick her up. And it's like, no, this was appalling (laughs) conduct. Like she needs to be in therapy and they need to keep an eye on her. This is very troubling behavior. And if we're saying this is kind of cute, all of this that happened, that like this was like a meet cute with her coach and then, oh. And then nobody is nobody around her telling her like, chill out like that's not cool like i know in the beginning they're like they tell her like oh like the the, the camp has an anti-fraternization and she just kind of played it off as like well i'm gonna be the one to to change not change that but i'm gonna be the one to like you know get him to change his mind get him to change his ways like girl no <laughs> well and the other girls it was unclear to me because they're not very fleshed out the girls at the they're camp not. as mm-hmm. to whether they were kind of egging her on or if they just thought that she was that she was full of I can't think of a way to say that that's not a bad word but that like she was talking big about something that really was not going to happen yeah Mm -hmm. and so they were just going along with it but like I think there was a bit of idealization I want to bang him I'm gonna do it y'all I'm doing tonight we're gonna do it like and they're like cool what yeah and then she comes back and they're like so what happened? What happened? Yeah, yeah. Did it happen? Like I don't think that Amber Shares was necessarily at the end saying that it was a good thing. But I also agree with Heather that I don't think that she went far enough to say why and how it was bad. And like the real steps that Bridget has to take in order to really heal whatever is going on with her. There's the fact that she's gone to therapy and... That a therapist once said that she's single-minded to the point of recklessness or oh, something yeah. like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are like points to say like Bridget goes too far. And this is one of those times where again she has gone too far and now she has to deal with the consequences. But yeah, it doesn't go far enough to say that how that she has to deal with those consequences. Cause really the consequence is just that Eric, you know comes to his senses and is like we shouldn't have done that uh that was really wrong and but hit me up when you're 20 like no that's not that's not the conversation it should have been he's also just not a good person as well because he's very much like oh this can't happen after it's happened right so it's just kind of like okay like you i don't know 
I mean, granted, she wasn't respecting his boundaries either, but she was also, he would also say stuff like, yeah, I was hoping you'd actually stop by because, you know, or I didn't want you to stop by because if you did, I know I wouldn't be able to control myself. Yeah. Like, like, why are you saying those things? Yeah. But he said pretty explicitly, we can't. And she wouldn't stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and she lied about her age. Yeah. I mean, this does not let him off the hook completely. But I do think if we framed this and this was, we reversed the genders on this, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be making so many excuses for Bridget. Like, yeah, no, they, they're both just, I, they both I, just suck. Yeah, you know, I, I think <laughs> it's, sucks. it's really bad. And like, should he have kept it in his pants? Absolutely. But it also wasn't okay that she wouldn't let him be. Yeah. Like, yeah. he was not a willing participant early in this. And she just kept going and kept going and lied and kept going. And it's like, she's walking around in her underwear. Like, yeah. what is yeah. going on with this girl? <laughs> Like, that was her whole storyline. And then towards the end, her friend spends, like, $700 to come see her because she's heartbroken but didn't really say what happened in letters. And I was just like, girl. I know we talked about a little of what the author was thinking regarding this. But if we look back, too, at that time, pop culture, early, mid-2000s, if my pop uh, history isn't far off, I think Hilary Duff was dating uh joel madden she was 16 and he was 25 that's gross and they dated yeah. for like a few years but it was it was reflective and no one was doing anything either but so you also know. have to remember that 16 was the cutoff for that's age true. in a lot of states for yeah. for what makes something statutory rape or not that like once you're 16 you can magically like make decisions about this but if you're 15 you can't and a lot of states had romeo and juliet laws which if it was 17 and 19 would have been covered in pretty much every state in the U.S. That would not have been a crime if Bridget was 17 and Eric was 19. Her being 15 and him being 19 was definitely a crime in California at the time. It would have been a crime in many, many states. It would just be whether it's a felony or a misdemeanor. Like she was playing with fire in a huge way. And I just... She didn't care. I I don't know. I mean, I I worked sex abuse investigations Mm -hmm. in the 2000s. And I, it's a very dangerous thing to romanticize the older man with the younger girl because it is just part of the predator handbook. They know how to spin it. It's romantic, you know, like it's not, it's not, it's predatory. Now in this book, it was kind of inverted because Bridget was definitely the one that was going after him, not the other way around initially. But to frame it that way at all, that like this was, you know, the issue was the age. The issue wasn't their connection with each other. It was, it's like, ooh, like, no. Yeah. And it's weird because it didn't have to be a sexual relationship, right? Like, it could have been just that she had really wanted him to, like, I don't, I don't know. It could have been, like, work itself to, like, a kiss. And then he tells her, like, like he we lets can't. her down and says, mm-hmm. you know, we really can't, you know, maybe if you were older or something, had that kind of talk. And I think it still would have been, I think, for the most part, the same story. I I don't know why. I mean, biblically, the woman's hair is like her beauty. You chop it off and it's a whole thing. But that was her weapon of choice, too, which I thought was interesting that the author used Bridget's hair yeah. to seduce yeah. Eric. Like, let loose with their hair tie and <laughs> like, have it now. That was Eric. real goofy. <laughs> and then, like, and that's even like when he's like... <laughs> 
when he has his like broke back, I can't quit you moment with her. He's like grabbing handfuls of her hair, oh, yeah. which is not like particularly romantic. It's just kind of weird. Yeah, I was I trying know. to I was trying to visualize that. And I was like, what? <laughs> I know, like I'm just like picturing him like holding her by like yeah. pigtails. <laughs> it's very odd. I don't know. That was not a good description of no, anything. I thought that was so strange. too. And it was just really bad. The whole thing. Or like Lena. Lena had her own tragedy too. Like she was like living her own Greek tragedy. She was too pretty. <laughs> Greek tragedy. <Yes. laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh, the worst, your worst problem in the world at the time is because you're too pretty. Like, well, I mean, to the point of the Greek tragedy, like her getting caught naked in the yeah. swimming hole is very like, oh, that's, you know, that is the setup for how many myths where mm-hmm. it's, you know, somebody caught the the dryad bathing, somebody caught the nymph yeah. bathing, and now it's a whole thing. I don't know. That was weird, too, because again, it's like, Lena waits so long yeah. to correct a really horrific, life-changing misunderstanding that's bad y'all like and then her don't let people like, all think that this guy's a rapist he yeah. didn't do anything yeah and then her grandmother's just like yeah i had a feeling but, but you know eh. i feel like you tried to tell me in your own way no what she, does that even mean yeah. you at all you, you were there for how many mo- like weeks and you kind of just let it like you know let eh. everyone think costos is the village rapist and then yeah. she goes from that to like oh we have the same spot at the pool pond and i saw you naked and now i'm in love with you because i'm thinking about you and can't stop sketching you what i think this author has a very interesting way of like making things try to come across as being romantic that really yeah. just aren't <laughs> agree yeah and i think that was another thing where i think the film adaptation did a sort of better job although mm-hmm. that warring families like romeo and juliet type thing was a little it was a little overplayed but that made more sense because they had more time right like they kind of like fell in love over the summer yeah and well yeah. they actually like knew each other a little bit too yeah. like they, don't, the know book, any, they yeah. don't know anything about each other. Yeah, like, like they haven't established anything. He saw anything. her naked and thought she was pretty before that. And then she falls in love with him because he didn't correct the like embarrassing mistake she made and let everyone think he was a rapist. Like, yeah. yeah, that's, that's all they know wild. about each other. They know nothing about each other. Well, he, he knows she paints and she knows like his sob story. But that was it. That's like, it. that's not really they, enough. They haven't like had a conversation. Well, she's purposely been avoiding him. She once not wanted nothing to do with him. And the Lena love story is presented like she gets back and it's like everyone's excited because Lena's really in love. What? (laughs) Her sister's like, oh, I can tell you're in love because she found her painting. She's like, oh, you've never felt like anyone about this. And I'm just like, what are these feelings? (laughs) Well, and I will say, like, I think I was the only one of the three of us that did that went for the love at first sight bit in the one Mm. quiz we took after Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. But it's not presented that way either. (laughs) She doesn't like him at the beginning. She's just, like, mad that he's around. And trying to, like, hook her up with her sister that got a boyfriend. Like, That's even younger than she is. Yes! Her (laughs) 14-year-old sister was making out with waiters in the alley. What is happening in this book with... That was strange, though, because then she judges Effie for doing that. But then she was so willing to set Effie up to begin with, with Costa's mm. 
All while Effie has a boyfriend back home. Poor yeah. Gavin. He's the real. <laughs> is, he, is he the one that she said smells like something or something like that? I can't remember what she said about her sister's boyfriend, but yeah. Yeah, rough, rough story for Gavin. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know if we were supposed to, though, get the sense that she, that she kind of did like him or was interested in him, but like didn't want to be. And so she shut herself off. Like there was like a sort of moment where. She is interested, but like she shuts it down really quickly. Because, but because she thinks that every guy is just going to disappoint her. Look, we're gathered here today to honor a gift that has been sent to us. So why do we have to pay for them? I think we should talk about the rules of the pants and just the pants in general. Because mm. you know, oh, no. <laughs> is it okay if I read oh, some no. of these rules? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. We need rules. Every sister has rules. Thank you. A manifesto. Okay. Good point. I love it. All right, so the back cover of my book says, We, the sisterhood, hereby instate the following rules to govern the use of the traveling pants. One, you must never wash the pants. This is not okay. <laughs> this is like, oh, God. This is so gross. It's so gross. Ew, Carmen, that's so unnecessary. Why not? And they talk so many times about the grossness of the pants, too. Yeah. Like, Lena is sweating up a storm in them. Her grandfather's blood, blood gets blood on, on yeah. them. Someone the butt the mud. gets mud all on it because Carmen sat in something. There's like olive oil on it. They're filthy. And they talk about these pants being so beautiful and flattering. But like, I can't imagine pants that are that dirty being beautiful or flattering. Because I know like, I guess like with like actual like denim, they say you don't have to wash it as frequently. But like, that's there's a difference between you being the only person wearing those pants right. and you yeah. sharing them with three other girls, passing them to no. the mail, getting blood, yeah. mud, and all that on them. It's yeah. gross. And like this is this is the era of the thong. Like this is nasty. <laughs> I just no, the whole time I was reading this, this was like sharing underwear, essentially. Honestly. Yeah. I, I can't with that. Why are they gross? Why did they come up with that rule? What does the washing matter? All right, well, and why was that the first rule? It'll wash away the magic. What, are you going to wash the magic out of the pants? Okay. <laughs> okay, gross. Two, you must never double cuff the pants. It's tacky. There will never be a time when this is not tacky. They're obviously not under the height of 5'1 or 5'2. <laughs> you must never say the word fat, P-H-A-T, while wearing the pants. You must also never think, I am fat, while wearing the pants. You'll I just get, think everyone, everyone else, else is fat. fat. <laughs> Maybe they should have thought more about using the P-H-A-T fat, because that would have been the only positive thing anyone said about anyone in the book. <laughs> You must not pick your nose while wearing the pants. You may, however, scratch casually at your nostril while really kind of picking. I mean, okay, I'm going to say that they're okay with basically nose picking and not washing your pants. Like, we just have (laughs) real hygiene issues throughout this book. Yeah. You must write to your sisters throughout the summer, no matter how much fun you're having without them. Yeah. They did that. That was cute, I guess. I was just wondering, like, how these, how much was it costing to get these pants and these letters around the, I mean, they. I know, like, international yeah. shipping is no joke. Yeah. To but, get them there fast enough that, like, you could have them in Greece a couple of days later. Yeah. Bethesda. Right. <laughs> but I was about to say, it's definitely implied that it is. none this of these families are struggling yeah. at home. Well, I mean, Tibby says this is more than two hours at Walmart. Oh, Tibby, yes. Tibby was Tibby, struggling, yeah, I think. But then I'm like... She paid her own shipping. Everyone yeah. else's parents paid. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Tibby's the only one with a job. Yeah. 
But then I think she lives in like Friendship Heights from the descriptors. Maybe she was just like doing it to be defiant because Tibby seems kind of oppositional. So maybe she Mm. was like, I don't want your dirty money now that you've sold out to the man, mom. (laughs) No, that sounds like Tibby. Nine, you must not wear the pants, the tucked in shirt and belt. See rule two. This was absurd. Okay. So bodysuits were huge in the late 90s when mm. she would have written this book. Yeah. That's definitionally tucked in if you're wearing jeans. <laughs> yeah. Like what? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about like classic MTV red carpet. Like, yeah. I, it, yeah. <laughs> this was back in the snap crotch bodysuit day. <laughs> I had one of those on yesterday. Um, <laughs> it's come around it, again. And I had it with... High-waisted pants, and my sister had on the same outfit. She had on a belt, and we had on boots. And what? Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This last one is so funny to me. Number 10. Okay, pants equal love. Love your sisters and love yourself. Okay, so I guess, but you can't love the people around you and just make fun (laughs) of them for being themselves and looking how they look? No, it's all about build yourself up by... Tearing other people down, which is real yikesy. And I also have to say, did anyone feel like just the girls in this book are portrayed in a way that's very cringy? But the guys, the the teen guys in this get a pretty gracious depiction. Like Eric is totally lit off the hook. Paul. Paul yeah. is like some weird wisdom giving yoda teen boy who doesn't mind that she's like been calling his girlfriend skeletor and like hitting on him in front of which is uh, again yeah like the part where she like gross. shows up to his room in like boxers like yeah costos is apparently a saint and doesn't mind that he's been essentially accused of rape by everyone in his village that he cares about for no reason at all like all of the the guys, even the the video game guy, is also Brian like, McBrian. Yeah, yeah. Brian McBrian. <laughs> He's like unexpectedly wise and like, yeah. you know, we we leave with him being the one that Tibby really cares about at the end. Yeah, I, well, with Paul, I, I know he was. I, I I like to think that he was just empathetic of Carmen because of what's happening with his dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty obvious Carmen wants to spend time with her dad. So that's what I think is at least with Paul. But I think there's also some weird romanticizing your stepbrother thing there. That's just. I feel like this yeah. is very of the time. Like, I feel like there was some there was some Disney Channel show that I remember kind of did something similar. Life with Derek. Life with Derek. Means I did not make it up. No, you did. <laughs> but the actor and actress also dated in real life. I think they did. So that, that, that that's probably where there was that tension. But yeah. the fact that they made it, like, it wasn't, like, just tension. Like, they actually had scenes like that on yeah. camera, and it was weird. Like, yeah. I think there was a part, like, their stepbrother and stepsister. Did they almost kiss or something? It looked like they almost kissed. Yeah. No, but I also felt like the book was kind of almost teasing a yeah. Carmen and Paul relationship, like... Oh, he's gonna get tired of Skeletor and go for her. Right, because like, he's like, like oh, "Oh yeah, we broke up." Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna go a little off if that's okay. Yeah. Speaking of bad decisions, this author made in the book. She, this book started out with like racist vibes. 
Oh, oh yeah. right out the gate. Yeah. Yeah. Paragraph two. <laughs> Paragraph two. It's awful. Do I want to read it? I mean, I think we kind of have to at least to explain give context, what right? it is. Our pants weren't like the neurotic puppy whose parents left it alone, barking itself hoarse from morning till night. They were more like the grown-up dog whose family loved it but had to move to an apartment building or maybe to Korea. Is it Korea where people sometimes eat dogs? There's literally no reason. No. This is in the prologue. Yeah. There's there is no, no reason no to put this in the book. No excuse for that yeah. at all. At that time period, yeah. that was not okay. Like somehow she has managed to write a book that is more racist than the books that we looked at that were 50, yeah. 100, 150 years yeah. old. She went to Sidwell and Barnard. There's no excuse for that. Like, I, like nobody oh, caught this geez. before like sending it on. Yeah. It also makes me wonder what other things might have been in the book that they might have taken oh, out. Geez, and, yeah. just, and I also like... The wedding was supposed to take place on a plantation. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I get that. Was, I guess that was supposed to be like, explicit, like show kind of like how the Lydia was like this South Carolina type woman. But again, I just feel like there was, I don't know. It felt unnecessary to me. Like, why is that in there? I mean, that makes sense for Lydia to me personally. It like, does. Southern I, that, if, it, mm. if it was there, I would have just caught on and just, I feel like it was trying to say something about Lydia without being yeah. explicit about because it. Because it's not positive about Lydia yeah. in the book generally, but like, that's not okay. I don't think the depiction of Carmen is okay. Yeah. You have a white woman who's writing supposedly from the viewpoint of a character who's half Puerto Rican. She tackles the issue of racism towards Carmen by showing the like seamstress shop and the like, oh, my dad forgot to mention I was Puerto Rican. Now everybody's looking at me funny because they weren't expecting me to not be white. But this is while she's simultaneously writing this character to tick every box on the Latina stereotypes. She makes Carmen the curvy one. She makes Carmen the loud one. She makes Carmen, you know, the one with the bad temper. Like, I, what are we doing here? Yeah, and that, that racist comment at the beginning is something that's said from Carmen's point of view, yeah. which makes yeah. it even worse because Carmen spends a lot of the time talking about basically the negative stereotypes or negative opinions that people have of her. And yeah, I mean, similarly, I am very wary of whenever like a white woman tries to write or a white author in general tries to write a person of color and... I think people always say, like, why that should be okay, because if you have just a lot of white authors, you know, and they're only able to write about white characters, then you're never going to have diverse characters, which obviously is leaving authors of color out of the conversation. But yeah, it was just like, it was one of those things where every time I kept reading things like that, I was like, this is when they didn't have sensitivity readers. Right. <laughs> no, and I'm... I also, again, this is just such a writing from a place of being a rich white woman in the DMV and a product of that, I think, because this this book, a lot of it takes place in D.C. And the only characters of color that we see are Carmen and her mom. Right. Like, I don't think. Oh, and then maybe Loretta, the babysitter, because she's depicted with a like oh, an ambiguous accent. accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's it. We're in D.C. Like no one at the store that Tibby works with is a person of color, apparently. Right. Nobody at the hospital that she runs into. None of the schoolmates they run into. Like it's very odd. The, I think the only other character of color in it is one of the 
friends Bridget makes at soccer camp. I think it's Diane. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's it, which is just, that's an amazingly like bubbled view of the area. But again, this starts with with the way she was writing Georgetown. So like. But with the way she was writing these characters, maybe it's good she just didn't mention this. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it was for the best. Mexico. I think mostly it's just the men in the bar that are like fawning over Bridget. Oh, Eric well. is half Mexican. Eric is half Mexican, but yeah, any like pers- male person of color is fawning over Bridget. Yeah. Why exactly did this camp have to take place in Mexico? Because it would have been a crime if it took place in California. <laughs> 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 because Eric would be on the sex offender registry yeah. now. <laughs> I I also will say that when we were doing some research for this, it was very disturbing that the author really doubled down on that bad joke in the second paragraph Mm -hmm. about the eating dogs. Like, that is not, that wasn't an okay joke to make then, and it's certainly not an okay joke to make now. And rather than apologize for it or say like, yeah, that was really off color, I shouldn't have said that, she was very unapologetic about it. Like, it... She really did double down on it. She said, I don't wish to offend anyone. Uh, she said that it was part of the shoot from the hip spirit of the narrator. Mm. I don't like the thought of driving away my Asian American readers. So this was like a very like, sorry, you were offended. Yeah. I hope you don't stop buying my mm. book apology. Like I, I don't see any self-awareness that this was not okay what's wild about that her her wording it like that saying like oh it's just you know kind of like straight from the hip shoot from the hip type of thing that the narrator said you wrote the narrator's words stop yeah. trying to like you make it like blame it on car right? <laughs> like stop trying to make it it's seem not, like you she's <laughs> not real <laughs> you wrote her words like yeah, I, I feel like she wrote that and just thought she was really clever. Yeah, that's I feel like I feel like she just even if she in her even if in her head she wasn't really sorry about it, the fact that you doubled down on it yeah, just yeah. makes you seem so Years much worse. Years after the fact. Years after the fact, right? Yeah. So this is like a time where like, okay, some time has passed. I've heard people's concerns. Maybe I should know better. So like if someone approaches me about it. Like, I should kind of have an answer as to how I'm going to respond to this. And I also feel like maybe where she says the part where it's like, is it Korea? Like, that she thought that that was somehow softening it. But it actually makes it worse because then it's like, Carmen can't tell Asian countries apart. Yeah. Like, Yeah, that was a very interesting, not interesting in a good way, but that that was quite a way to start the book. Well, and because I think she she writes such a ambiguous book in terms of what her take home is for me, at least like it's morally very unclear to me what the author wants us to take home from this book. And I think with some of the books that we've read where we've said, well, this isn't great, but it's a product of its time. And you can see that for the time, the author was trying to do this thing that was more progressive. So we can, view it as a product of its time. And we'd assume like the author's moving towards the right direction, I guess, with these other things. But I don't think this is 20 years old. Like that's not a product of its time in a way where it's like, oh, well, the author clearly learned from that because she didn't. And like the book itself doesn't seem to be making any, I don't know, any 
plea for tolerance at all. Like it's, or any plea for inclusion. Everything about it is about judging people and critiquing people. And I don't know. It's like there's and comparing no from this book. to other people. <laughs> it, it's, it's just an incredibly judgmental book. So I think I don't, I couldn't get past that because I don't feel like the author was giving us like otherwise a, a good take home or a good story or good character development. And speaking of character development, like, I know we're supposed to feel like these girls are, like, really, really great friends. But did y'all feel like, did, I mean, I guess maybe because the book started and, like, not so long after the book started, they just went off and went off on their separate ways. But nothing about this book made me necessarily feel anything about their friendships either. Like, I mean, yeah, they wrote each other letters and stuff like that, but... They're definitely riding on the wave of like we were born around the same time and our moms made us like hang out with each other and like it just has stuck. But yeah, I mean, I feel like it tells you more about how great friends they are than it shows, shows it. you. Agreed. Yeah, I, I will say, though, that it, it does. I mean, I, I did have the criticism, I think more so now than back then, that they'll often co-sign each other's like bad habits. Mm. I don't think that they're always really telling each other the truth or really holding each other accountable. I will say that I did like seeing Tibby and Bailey's friendship, mm. which maybe started out as a, I mean, it maybe started out as like, a, oh, well, this girl has leukemia, so I'm just going to like let her come around. But like they did kind of seem like they had a genuine friendship. And it might have been maybe one of the more interesting things in the book, but at the same time, that yeah. might just be me grasping for straws <laughs> to find something that was a little not. I, I don't know if even it was even the inclusion of that possibly problematic. Like I don't know. Like yeah, I mean it. It, it was unfortunate, like misery porn as a plot device. Yeah. Like it really was just a. Well, we need a way for Tibby to like realize X, Y, Z. So I know I'll kill this girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> guinea pig wasn't enough. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, okay, a lot of books do that, but yeah. <laughs> Pulling our stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, although I thought it was sweet that Bailey eventually started to dress more like Tibby, which showed the kind of influence that Tibby had on her in such a short amount of time. But the bigger, more profound, like, difference was the difference that Bailey made on Tibby. This would have yeah. been a more interesting book if it was probably just about them. I mean, honestly, I thought Bailey was the most interesting character yeah. in the book. Yeah. Like, she, she kept was, it real. <laughs> she seemed like there was stuff going on there that was non-appalling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for someone a lot younger, she had a better understanding yeah. of things that you would have hoped that the main characters have. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would have read a book about Bailey and the video game kid. Mm. Like, <laughs> I liked him. Yeah. And there's this whole, like, succumentary that, um, <laughs> <laughs> that Tippy's working on. Yeah. That's so mean. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm gonna, it's mm -hmm. not even like a mockumentary where she's like, how are you gonna do this? She's, she's interviewing real people to make fun of them. Yeah. Which is just incredibly cool. Yeah. I mean, I she learned something during the process <laughs> that that was mean and yeah. these aren't horrible people and like, oh, they're real people. But she learns that because a 12-year-old tells her that, yeah. which is pretty brutal. 
Yeah, but I I think that kind of rings true because like you were saying earlier, right, that like it does capture that like narcissism that teens have at that age where you feel like you're the center of the world. And I know we're talking about that more so in terms of body image, but it makes sense that Tibby has those views of everyone, right? Like they're such losers, like they have this kind of life and which she thinks is interesting, you know, like they're the opposite of that. And so that's why they suck as people. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it definitely took like an outsider's perspective to really tell her, like, is it just, is it that these people suck or that you just have this perspective of them? Mm-hmm. It really is just about your perspective. And yeah, the fact that Bailey's like, well, at least you're willing to change your mind about them. Like, it was a sweet line, but at the same time, I was like, yeah, because someone had to tell her. Right. Yeah. Too. Someone had to tell her that people don't just inherently suck because they're the general manager of a woman's. Yeah. Is that supposed I mean, to be like a Walmart? I, I don't know what that is. I It seemed like a CVS okay. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have we delved enough into the family issues? I think I could go more with the family issues. Because yeah, I'm really mad at Carmen's dad. Yeah, oh, he's dad. Not, tell us why you're mad at Carmen's dad. <laughs> I'm just, I just feel like he's the adult in that relationship. And for him to not warn her like once, like, it, you know, on the, you didn't have to say everything. But like on the phone could have said something. Even when she landed and then he like picked her up. Even on the drive there, he could have said something, but he didn't. Like, he stayed silent that entire time and then finally was like, this is my family. And then she obviously reacts really badly toward Mm -hmm. it because she had no way of, like, really preparing for it. And then he was like, yeah, I'm sorry, my bad. I really wanted to tell you in person. I felt like this was an in-person. I'm like... Yeah, it's an in-person conversation. I can see where you're getting that. But, like, it's also a time-sensitive. And yeah, if it's yeah. going to be in person, at the very least, you do it came before. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. it's just brutal. He's a coward. Yeah. He absolutely abandoned her and got a new family. It's like you traded me and mom in for something that you thought was better. And I want to know why. Are you ashamed of me? And yeah. then was, like, surprised Pikachu face when she was upset about that. Yeah. And it's like... Guy, what did you think would happen? <laughs> it what makes it tragic too is Carmen pushes her mom away yeah. as the time gets closer when she's going to spend time with her dad. Mm-hmm. And the only she even said it to herself, she's just like, I've pushed my mom away, but I need to talk to her because my dad, the person she idolizes, has got a new family. And this is someone who she's be, trying to become more like because of how much she wants his approval. From the math. She loves math. He loves math. Uh, the, the tennis. I mean, she could have gone for anything else. But it's just, it's very horrible. But to hide also that, I mean, that she's half Puerto Rican. Because they had no well, clue either. Okay, how are you engaged to someone and you've yeah. never shown her a picture yeah. of your child? Like, it's not like she didn't know Carmen existed. Yeah. So he doesn't have a picture of her. He's trash. I yeah he's awful yeah like what like and it's just like you know she you know Carmen makes the point of like Paul can go see his father every month then why does Paul visit his alcoholic dad every month did you only visit me twice a year yeah 
He and like she be says, she said, like, you know, this is crazy. Like, I always see his suitcases, but this is the first time he's seeing mine. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, granted, it's not necessarily like you can't necessarily compare the situations. But like at the same time, like, you know, as a teenager, it makes sense that that's something that she would be thinking and feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I got to the. I think that was probably I mean, aside from like Bailey and like Tippy's kind of descent when um, Bailey's in the hospital, I think that was like a like one of those poignant scenes in the book because obviously up until then you're just like i think everyone is aware of who carmen should be mad at but she's obviously trying to like delay that right she's like no i'm actually mad at lydia and her perfect Mm -hmm. blonde kids i'm actually mad at my mom i'm actually you know she's mad at everyone and doesn't want to see that she's mad at her dad no dad you don't know that's just it you've never known because i've never been able to tell you Told me what? Then I'm angry with you, Dad. But yeah, that was a really like touching scene once she finally gets him on the phone and she's like, I'm mad at you. And not really caring about what he's going to say back because this is something that she's kind of held in for a really long time. And then the mom mentioned something else later, like, yeah, maybe it's like a little bit easier for you to be upset with other people in your life because you know that they're going to love you no matter what. But you've never felt that about your dad. Mm-hmm. Because he hasn't taken the time to really, like, strengthen that relationship. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. I hate him. Yeah. The <laughs> amount awful of dad. communication that could have saved Carmen and Lena <laughs> would have just been amazing. <laughs> I think with Bridget, yeah. at least, like, there was, like, communication and just ignoring it. But with Lena, I think Carmen, um, with her dad at the end they do like kind of make a promise to just kind of communicate better. But I think that was like the main growth. Yeah. Between some no, of the, she lets them off the hook at the end. She yeah. goes to the wedding and it's like, them ugly pants. Oh, so yeah. pants. <laughs> and did you say in the stinky pants? The stinky Jane of stinky pants. <laughs> I think they actually casted the dad very well in the movie. Because oh, the actor is yeah. just very... It's like Bradley Whitford, yeah. right? <laughs> I think that, again, like, there's so many steps before you get engaged. Like, they have a wedding date planned at the end of the summer. Yeah. He's moved into her whole house, yeah. sold mm-hmm. his whole car, met his whole cho- her whole children. And been present and in them their as... lives. He's been going to Paul's yeah. games Right. And stuff. Like, yeah, that's my stepson. Like, she's like, no, I'm your actual daughter right here. That's not your and child. And even like, stepson, my son. My son, yeah. yeah. Like... And I know you're, you just seem so happy about being Paul and Kristen's dad, but you never even had the time to be mine. I'm sorry. And I mean, granted, you know, it's, it's good that he's embraced them into his family. That's fine. But like, also, there's a part of like, you're making them your family, but like, you're not incorporating like your actual family, your daughter mm-hmm. into all of that. And yeah. it's just very strange because it's like, how long were y'all dating before y'all got engaged before you like... No, yeah, it's a mess. It's gross. Like he made choices, and repeatedly he chose not her. Does anybody else's family suck? Of the <laughs> no, 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 personally. Well, I don't like Tibby's mom. Tibby's mom was pretty bad. At least, like when at least the way Tibby talks about, because she is filtered through Tibby. That's um, yeah. Because, I mean, she's obviously, like, with two young ones, and Tibby kind of has to help. But 
what Bailey says to Tibby is pretty rough. It's just like, you're the practice child. Yeah. Like, you're, we're basically like not, you were here as an accident almost. Like, they practiced with you. And then when they actually wanted kids, they went, they went ahead and get hot, had some. And um, now she got to be the babysitter for them kids. And now she yeah. has to be the babysitter. But also, I mean, like, with her mom seeing all of the fancy homes for like some of the friends wanting her own as well. It's, Dad has to work longer hours. He had to go back. He had to like make more money because he couldn't be just jumping around. And what nineteen? I think Heather was your notes. Yeah, so he's apparently in law school at nineteen. Which what? And so like, how old? Okay, so they were nineteen. So like, how old were the other moms? And why were they friends? And maybe that's why they weren't friends right, for long. They're in a <laughs> they, they were just like the teenager. only thing they had in common was being pregnant. Like. <laughs> yeah 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 but i think i think the rest of them have i mean uh, well bridget we don't really bridget's mom's dead we don't really find much yeah. out about her did dad. bridget's dad ever send her the thought clothes she wanted her in the second <laughs> <laughs> <Thought clothes. laughs> sorry that was rude we have to take that out <laughs> i mean why would it matter because she again walks in in her underwear so it's not like she yeah. needed more clothes oh <laughs> <laughs> Each episode, we are heading into the library and talking to you. Well, not you, but people like you, right here in the stacks. Today, we want to know, do you have an item of clothing that changes how you feel about yourself? I have a piece of clothing that is special to me. It's a shirt. It's a pink shirt. And the reason why that shirt is so important to me, because that shirt was the brightness of the days that I went through in reference to going through uh, my chemo treatment. And every time I put that shirt on when I had to go and I wore that shirt each time, which is once a week, um, for my um, treatment, chemo treatment, it gave me a bright smile because it was so bright. And it was like, no matter how dark it seemed, but I'm going to be bright yeah. and shine. So I, I actually looked at that shirt on Sunday and said, this is my bright shirt. Um, a crop top and, crop top. and leggings. Okay. What do they look like? Um, it has, um, a, like it says, OMG, it's my birthday, November 18, and then my leggings are just black legs. <laughs> it's gonna be really silly, but I show my tummy. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it's right there over there. Um, it's this orange blanket hoodie with tons of black cats on it. It's for, like, Halloween and stuff. Um, it's my favorite outfit to wear with um, my sweatpants, my green sweatpants, um, because it makes me really cozy, and it's what me and my friend would wear, like, every Friday, and we would match together. It's a pen that depicts the seal of the state of Maryland. I take the responsibility of representing the people of Prince George County and the state of Maryland very seriously, and this is a wonderful reminder to me to always stay true to that. This pin I received from a colleague of mine in 2019 when I first came to the Senate. He is another Senator who shared it with me. To the pants. And the sisterhood. And the summer. So today we are taking a quiz brought to you by BuzzFeed and written by Jamie Girac. And it is titled, Everyone Has a Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants Character Percentage. Here's yours. So we're going to find out our uh, character percentages of the sisterhood, I guess. First question is, pick a place to spend your summer. 
The options are Greece, South Carolina, Mexico, California, at home making money, wherever the wind takes me. I'm going to say Mexico because um, this picture that they have of Mexico is beautiful. So, <laughs> And I've been to Mexico a few times and it's always been a good time. Vibes. I'm going to go with Greece. I'm going with Greece too, just because I've spent more time in Mexico. Uh, same here. I'm from Mexico and I go to Mexico a lot. So I'd love to go to Greece. You're like, been there, done that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I still love it. (laughs) Okay, now we are picking a pair of pants, which I will attempt to describe. The first pair is like some pleather leggings or stiletto pants, I guess. (laughs) Um, Then we have some athletic tights, some cheetah pants, some ripped jeans, some sweatpants that appear to maybe have a belt. So like weird, <laughs> weird joggers with a belt or some pants which are on fire. Liar, liar. <laughs> this is kind of hard. I wish they just had regular I jeans. Know. I was thinking the same thing because these jeans kind of ugly, but <laughs> I'm going to go with the jeans. I definitely wear workout clothes the most of pants but i also don't like pants unless i'm working out so i'm kind of torn between the leggings or the fire pants i'll take the fire pants (laughs) (laughs) what i don't like pants particularly (laughs) unless they're like for a purpose i begrudgingly chose the jeans begrudgingly love that I'm just going to go with the sweats because I don't like those jeans. I don't <laughs> like those joggers, though. <laughs> All right, pick a pair of celebrity BFFs. We've got Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, Oprah and Gail, <laughs> <laughs> Maisie Williams and Sophie Turner, Millie Bobby Brown and Noah Schnapp, Shannon Woodward and Katy Perry. Okay. <laughs> and then Lupita Nyong'o and Michael B. Jordan. This is such a random lineup. These are really weird choices. But I'm going to go with Lupita Nyong'o and Michael B. Jordan. (laughs) I have no reason as to why. (laughs) I'm going to go Game of Thrones. I guess I'll go Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. I'll go Stranger Things. Go with Millie and Noah. All right. We're picking an activity. Filmmaking, soccer, art, baking, swimming, or theater. I'm going to go with baking because I'm not particularly great at it, but I can follow instructions and it usually comes out pretty okay. I have a sweet tooth. I'm going go for swimming. I'll go for baking. I'm going to go for art. Pick a quote from the series. Single-minded till the point of recklessness. Time is what keeps things from happening all at once. Maybe sometimes it's easier to be mad at the people you trust because you know they'll always love you no matter what. I always interpret coincidences as little clues to our destiny. Don't talk to me. I'm tired and grumpy and I'll probably make fun of you. And maybe there is more truth in how you feel than in what actually happens. I'm going to go with maybe sometimes it's easier to be mad at the people you trust because you know they'll always love you no matter what. Though seeing all these quotes together just kind of make me realize how ridiculous this book kind of is. (laughs) Real trite. Very cheesy. (laughs) These aren't great. I think I'm going to go with maybe there's more truth in how you feel than in what actually happens. (laughs) I'm going to go with don't talk to me. I'm tired and grumpy. I'll probably make fun of you. (laughs) I'll go with single-minded to the point of recklessness. (laughs) (laughs) Pick a friendship movie. Thelma and Louise, Now and Then, 
I Love You Man, Girls Trip, The Goonies, or Bridesmaids. So what about Bridesmaids? Because I haven't seen Girls Trip. Though. I remember that being a hot mess when I worked at the movie theater. Like, everybody loved, like, those, this movie was crazy. Like, people were so excited for that movie. Heard it was good, but I ain't seen it. I'll go Thelma and Louise, even though I think it's weird to have a movie about, like, murdering yeah. someone with your best friend on here. <laughs> Is that what that's about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to do the same. I'm going to do Thelma and Louise. I'll go with the Goonies. What annoys you the most? My family, boredom, having to make any decision, slow walkers, pretty much everyone and everything, or other. 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 The ones that will give you an other option (laughs) of all the questions they've asked. Yeah, that's weird. Hmm. If I had to pick from not other, though, I'll say slow walkers, because I hate when I'm walking to the mall trying to get to my destination, (laughs) and I gotta walk around people. For me, it's boredom i hate being bored oh i i love boredom i'll go with slow walkers too (laughs) yeah i almost want to put other but i guess if i had to choose it would be slow walkers oh now we're having a movie issue so pick a boyfriend costas brian eric leo who is leo he's in the second second movie with lena yeah yeah well I see that he's played by Jesse Williams, and I love Jesse Williams. So I'm gonna go with Leo. Hey, that's an unfortunate picture to choose of Brian I know, because he has a glow up in the second movie. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you not judge also this from the second movie? <laughs> yeah, I'm going with just from the book, and I'm gonna go with Brian. Yeah. Same. What makes you happiest? My friends, my family, my work, my hobby, something else. Nothing. <laughs> a lot about others <laughs> as a choice. He's just going to tell you the turn of the characters. Um, um, something else? Yeah, I'm kind of leaning that way, too. I'm going to be wholesome. My family. Aww. <laughs> I'll say my hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I love my family, though. I love listening. my family, too. <laughs> Pick a husband. These are real husbands of the people yeah. or real significant others of the people involved since now some of them are divorced. Yeah. <laughs> um, this hasn't aged well. David Cross, Vincent Carthizer, Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Pierce Williams. I guess I'll go with Ryan Reynolds because yeah. that's the only marriage that lasted. Yeah. So where is the something else? Because why I got to pick a husband if y'all just told me to pick a boyfriend? <laughs> I'm going to go with Ryan Reynolds. He kind of cute. Oh, no. I got exactly 25, 25, 25, 25. Really? I got 100% of a character. Oh, God. What did you get? I got 100% Tippy. Wow. Really? I got 100% Bridget. I got 100% Lena. (laughs) Wow. Okay, well, read your... Read All right, so 100% Tibby, you are driven by creativity and you're always looking for new inspiration. You're mature for your age, but still have a lot to learn about life. Sometimes you feel like the black sheep of your family, but luckily you have amazing friends that always make you feel loved. You're hesitant to form new relationships, but once someone is solidified in your life, they are in your heart forever. 100% Bridget, you are outgoing, wrong, competitive, wrong. And you're never afraid to speak your mind. Wrong. Sometimes you act impulsively and can regret your decisions, but you're always willing to get back on the horse and try again. Wrong. <laughs> you, you love the outdoors. Wrong. And making new friends. Wrong. But no one will ever compare to your best friends who keep you grounded. 
Yeah, this was just all around wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now and I feel like, like I should have fact checked myself. The I'm not the black sheep the of my family. Itself just doesn't feel me. And then like knowing how Bridget acted in the book, it's just like, well, dang, of all the people I had to get, I had to get her after we just <laughs> spent an hour and a half going in. A hundred percent, Lena. You are artistic and painfully shy. You're usually uncomfortable in new situations and have a tough time making decisions. Luckily, you have an amazing group of pals who are happy to pull you out of your shell. You're interested in learning about your family, history, and culture, but don't necessarily plan to follow in anyone else's footsteps. You're hesitant to fall in love, but once you do, it's for life. (laughs) Maybe my teenage self. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. Unfortunately. (laughs) Well, I got a quarter of everybody. You are the perfect blend of all four sisters. You are open, passionate, and occasionally get swept up in the moment. Your friends have always been your top priority, no matter how far away they might be. Sometimes you stumble when things don't go your way, but you always find the will to try again. Eh, that was a little bit of a fail of a quiz. I know. <laughs> Each episode, we ask whether our book passes the Bechdel test. The Bechdel test asks whether a work features two female characters who talk to each other about something that doesn't involve men or boys. So does it pass? Yes. Yes, but Question it's more mind. of a barely than it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Given how many female characters they have. Yeah. yeah. Almost all of the talk is in relation to the men in their lives or the boys in their I lives. I feel like guess. if anything, it's like the first thing that comes to mind is like conversations with maybe like Bailey and Bailey Tibby. and Tibby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. I don't. We didn't really talk about this. I do not think this is a very feminist book. I'm just going yeah. to yeah. Yeah, claim my ground here and say I don't feel this is a feminist work. Like, would you recommend this book? to someone no not really (laughs) no it hasn't aged well at all are they good role models not particularly (laughs) well that's it for this episode of these books made me join us next time when we'll discuss a book about young entrepreneurs if you think you know which book we're tackling next drop us a tweet we're at pgcmls on twitter and hashtag these books made me